0: And all the people said, Amen. Thank you, Brian. Choir, uh, what a blessing to worship with you this morning. And I wondered what rock medley would be. And I found out. What a delight. What a blessing again. It's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, my heart is so full to be here today. I wonder if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the 17th chapter, We'll read a story that is mysterious, but mysterious or not, it is well-known to most of you regular Bible attenders, Uh, but that doesn't, uh, well, alleviate the mystery. I'd like to look at this old story with you again, and I wonder if we might find encouragement from its pages. I I wonder if you'll bear with me. Uh, Could I run through a little text or two, and you might... Go back and look at those if you uh, have interest in these matters. But let me just remind you, the Lord is transformed on this mountain. The vision of him is substantially changed. They see him in a new light. That's what we're going to be reading about. And there he's with Elijah and Moses. Hmm. Those two. Those are the two that are conversing with him, and then sort of disappear, leaving Jesus all by himself. But those two, why those two? Some say the law and the prophets. I think it's obvious enough. But uh, there's so many connections. We wonder what's primary in Matthew's mind. It's both these two who have this very special kind of privilege in the whole history of the Bible uh, to sort of, um, well... Uh, end their lives profoundly with God's presence. Now, it actually says Moses died in in Exodus, but uh, at the same time, it's a strange scene because God is there to bury him. God does the funeral, so to speak. Elijah, you know, is taken. Both of them have uh, experiences uh, there on Mount Sinai. Elijah, after he has the victory at Mount Carmel, he finds himself, sadly, though, alone and worried, and frightened, and hunted, and hunted by the officials, and so he escapes. He doesn't just get out of town. He goes all the way to Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai, where Moses received the law previously, and he encounters God there, and he sees God's glory. So there he is on the mount, and he sees God's glory. I think that's something to do with him being there. Moses, we find, also has experience at that high mountain and also is able to witness the glory of God. In fact, when you begin to catalog Moses' stories, the echoes with our stories are sort of, well, profound. It's Moses who had witnessed the glory of God on the mountain. It's Moses who's had these special encounters with God's presence. In Exodus 24, it's Moses who goes up, and there are 70 other attendants, but there's three people go with him who signal. This is brother Aaron and um, Nadab and uh, uh, Abihu. Uh, They are pictured a few verses later as eating and drinking and gazing on God. Later, Moses comes down. He has to come down from this remarkable mountain, and he finds there that his own people he's trying to serve have been rebellious and sinful. Jesus comes down from the mountain as well and finds his followers not able to do an exorcism, and he worries and corrects them about their lack of faith. Well, all these together, there's this also image in Deuteronomy with Moses where there's the instruction, listen to him. Hebrew folk thought both Moses and Elijah would come and make an appearance at the initiation of God's kingdom. And that figures in our text as well. As our, uh, our Lord here thinks they're unable to see and recognize Elijah when he has appeared. Well, All of these connections, being drawn into the glory of God, being given a vision of who God is, all of these sort of set the stage for our reading. And if you would follow along, six days later, also an echo from Exodus, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three dwellings here, three tents is what I envision, like the Feast of tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up. And do not be afraid. And when they had looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them to tell no one in the, uh, of the vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Why then did the scribes say to, that Elijah must come first? He replied, Elijah is indeed coming and will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him. But they did, not, uh, did to him whatever they pleased. And so also the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. Well, dear ones, uh, this is a text we've had in our imagination, perhaps for a long time. But I will confess to you for some long time, I did not know what to do with it. Uh, But I have pondered these matters for some time, and I share it with you this morning. My word to you is this. Jesus had received the confession of Simon Peter just the chapter previous. And indeed, Jesus uh, acknowledges that this insight is something that God helped him understand and helped him uh, pronounce. He recognizes Jesus' crucial role in the plan of God, and he has the titles right and the lingo right, and yet he still understands these images in ways that he's accustomed to and not in the ways that jesus would fulfill them and so when jesus goes on to tell him that he'll have to suffer along the way jesus just confuses simon to no end i thought you were the great one come for god's purpose and now you're here telling me i'm going to suffer he just couldn't make sense of it all he pushed back, uh, Jesus, you remember, in that chapter 16. And then Jesus told him, no, no, if you don't understand this, right, right, we're really in trouble. Uh, he corrects him. Get behind me, Satan. He puts Peter's speech and attributes it to the Satan. This idea that you can have this Christ and not have the way of suffering before you just does not fit with Jesus. From that sort of low point. Now to this high point. And is it to encourage this inner circle who had seen so much? Maybe they'd seen more about Jesus. We know that's true later when Jesus goes to the garden and prays. Yeah, he takes the the inner circle that go further with him. And even though he prays individually, they perhaps see and sense the heaviness that is on Jesus. They've seen more and maybe they need this encouragement And they are the witnesses that are taken to this place. There's sort of two images here. First, the bright light that shines on them. And then the fuller vision when the glory of God seems to overcome all of them and kind of encompass them. And they hear a couple of things that stand out. First of all, the word from God. This word from the Father offers a correction and an instruction. It offers a discernment. You guys, you need to see this. This is my son. And you're going to learn more and more about what that means. This is my son. And there's this absolute obligation to follow him. Also, we see in the vision that Jesus is in this special company. And Jesus' own experience is sort of, well, following their experience. They're also the people who've been witness to the glory of God. But this time, things are different. It's not that they're just able to see the glory of God... Now it seems like the glory of God is abiding there with Jesus. They're seeing the glory of God when they see Jesus in this remarkable state. And so they are transformed. They begin to see Jesus for who he is. We've struggled with all what this means. Is this just an anticipation of the glory they'll see after his resurrection and so on? There seems to be a warning that they not talk about this so it won't be misunderstood until that resurrection occurs. That all makes sense. But what I would suggest to you is this. For now, these three are given this privilege to see what's always been the case, but they've not been able to discern it with Jesus in his human garb, even seen so much, seen him do miracles and shake their head like, who is this? Who is this? There's no man like this, right? But still, there's so much mystery that surrounds Jesus. And this talk of suffering. And how can it all be? Well, for these three, they're given the privilege to see things clearly. They're not just seen on a human scale anymore. Now the vision opens to them the spiritual kinds of realities that that come crashing in on them and the identity of Jesus is further made mysterious because Jesus is put there at the center of the glory of God wow now Jesus for this moment they're able to see him for what and who he truly is it's so wonderful Peter says what I suppose we'd all want to say when we get drawn into the presence of God, can't we, can't we, just, can't we just hang out here? Let, let's just hang out here. I, I, we'll do the Feast of Booths thing, and I, I'll get a, a booth for you and a, a booth for your two guests, Jesus. Uh, let, let's just hang out here. Jesus doesn't so much correct him or scold him as just ignore the question, but the instructions take things further. They're going to go back. But when they go back. They'll see Jesus face suffering. They'll see people who won't understand him. They'll see people who won't understand the spiritual things going on. They don't make the connection between. Like Jesus does. John the Baptist as the Elijah who's coming again. They're missing that. They're going to miss other things. They're going to misunderstand him. They're going to misinterpret him. They're going to mistreat him. But it's all part of God's purpose that he'll go this direction before they go God gives them the blessings of seeing everything in a fuller sense just as it is it's this moment of blessing where they're able to be entering into the glory of God and they see Jesus right at the centerpiece not a witness who's giving testimony to God's glory, not someone who's just simply observing it and living to tell about it. Instead, they see him at the center of it. They rightfully fear it first, but Jesus tells them that he'll be walking with them and going with them along the way. They won't need to fear. What they'll need to do is just Abide in his presence. And know what they'll need to do is obey him. And, and the time is not for them to just to fall down and, and to be completely paralyzed by the great thing that they have seen. But the time now comes for them to go back from the mountain, enter into this place where faith is sometimes hard and the obstacles great, and enter back into the experience For now, we will walk with Jesus, and now we will be misunderstood with Jesus. For now, we will be mistreated with Jesus. But we will not forget what we have seen. Dear ones, I wonder sometimes we are not in worship able to see and recreate the image of God with all of its grandeur in this great vision. But you know what? When I worship, it seems to me when I lift my voice in song, when I listen and when I read the scripture, there are moments where God blesses me and all the things that distract me and confuse me and worry me are sort of lost in the periphery. And what I'm able to do is just see Jesus for who he is. And just for a moment to begin the sense the grandeur of who he is and the greatness of who he is. And in these moments, these moments are kind of anchors for me. And when I leave the place of worship or I get up from the old blue chair where my uh, uh, quiet time is most often, uh, or ideally it is, I don't always get to make it there, but uh, when, when I, I leave these moments when I sense that I've been in God's presence, These are like anchors that sustain me. And when I find my own life and the life of others in this broken and gone wrong and heavy world, I'm not surprised. This is the way the God of all this world has decided to go before me. He in all of his glory has come down and entered into the brokenness and served with us and walked with us and known our hardship. He's even put up with our lack of perception to who he is, our pushing him away, our, our, our rejecting him, our, our violence toward him. Not even that has kept him from expressing the love of God. And you know, when I begin to see who Jesus is in his grandeur, then I have the anchor that helps me walk in the broken world, awaiting his full arrival and his complete victory. And in the meantime, though, I go and I walk in the broken world as a broken person among broken people, but I walk with a vision of who Jesus really is, and I walk with the simple instructions, you just do what he says, right? Now, are any of you worried about the world? I don't know where it's going. Does that surprise you. But I do know this. If the Jesus we've held up this morning in worship is our Lord, what had we better be doing? We better be doing what he has said, right? I know this. I know who he is, and I know what he's called on me to do. And I know this, I'm going to walk in my brokenness with an effort to be reformed and transformed by his. I'm going to walk in the brokenness of others, my neighbors, my people around me, the people on journey with me, and I'm going to love them like Christ told me to love them. I'm going to be honest with them. I'm going to call them. I'm going to challenge them, but I'm going to be there for them. This is the image that keeps us going. It's the vision of who Christ is that now inspires me with a confidence that I can walk in this world and speak for him. And the beautiful thing is, as this church is testimony to for all these years, is when we do that, God brings beautiful fruit around us. There are people who are just, it seems hungry and waiting to hear this word of hope about Jesus. And when they hear it from us, and they see it lived out in us. They grasp it. Wayne and I can't make this about you. (laughs) Uh, That that, that wouldn't be right, but uh, at the same time, I just, I can't uh, this morning help but say something like this. I, I alluded to it before. If we did an inventory of how many people, Wayne has touched in 19 years, who got on track or found their place of service, matched their gifts with the service. I think you would find people who are in our employ and people who are in our lineup, from teaching Sunday school to doing this to that and so on. There's just a life that goes out by someone who lives among you. And who seeks to live by Christ's purpose and, and love. And that bears light. And wherever it binds, bears light, people are able to make progress in faith. Find their place of service. Serve and love and so on. And so this morning, I just want to call you to do this. I want to call you to... A sense of renewed kind of focus about our worship. I want you to come here with the purpose of finding who Jesus is. I want you to come here with this quest. I want to see Jesus more nearly. I want you to come with a confidence that when we are gathered here, Jesus is in our midst. And when we touch him, and when we observe the Lord's Supper, and when we see him, these are these remarkable elements, and they help us somehow to get this picture right about just how great and grand he is, and when we see it, it's a marker for us. It's one more experience, one more vision, one more taste of the presence of God, and then when we leave this place, we leave with a renewed vision to love the people of God and to serve the world around us, and to simply do what Jesus tells us to do. This morning, there may be someone here who's never begun that journey. And I may be speaking to you about a text that seems so strange and so on, but I bear my testimony to it, the truthfulness of this scripture as it's been lived out in my experience. And I just want to tell you, if you were able to see who Jesus is, you would able... You'd be able to see him as the great God of all this world manifesting his love for you in such a concrete and remarkable way. You'd do right if you just had the sense enough spiritually to fall down before him. But he does not want your abject fear. He wants to journey with you. He wants you to walk with him and for his sake and know him and learn his ways just by simply doing this like the voice told you do what this one says. And if you'll trust him, surrender your life to him. You can begin this journey of faith and he'll be with you to forgive you of your sins. He'll be with you to find your way along the way to guide you in the path before you. He'll be there. Your destiny will be renewed and you can find in this journey once you begin to see him for who he is. Let's journey after this, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we pray, would you permit us by your grace and goodness to see who you are? Would you guide us by your instruction not to remain in abject fear for the grandeur and the goodness that's before us and our failure? But may we see the grace of your words to bear witness to you with who we are and what we we do. Lord, would you give us the wisdom just to hear the voice and be obedient this morning. Let us be committed and faithful to do what you have told us to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our time of decision this morning? I'll be here to receive you.